good morning. I, uh, it, it almost felt like a, a, a regular service. Um, there's one thing that we didn't do, two things we didn't do. Do you know what they were? Fellowship and offering, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, uh, the offering, or not, not the offering, <laughs> Freudian slip. I was looking, for, looking forward to, uh, uh, right, the fellowship, um, being able to come around and hug people's necks and, and welcome everybody. Um, I am a, uh, at, I work at a school, and what I do with the school is they call it academic interventions, but really that's just a fancy way of saying I help the ninth graders with reading and, and math. Um, and they're getting to the point in the year where it's, they're starting to test my limit of knowledge. Uh, the math is getting awfully, awfully tricky. Anytime math has more letters in a problem than it has numbers, I'm usually tapping out. But uh, English, we just started Shakespeare. And uh, Shakespeare is very difficult for me. And we started reading Romeo and Juliet. And it didn't make any sense to me when I was in school. And I know it didn't make any sense to the kids that we're teaching now. Um, it's really something you got to study and, and learn about if you're going to be able to understand what, what, it's, um, what it's really speaking about. But um, fortunately, this teacher, is, uh, she's doing a modern version of it. Uh, so the kids are kind of understanding it. And I started thinking, you know, what's more important, le learning to understand the 17th century uh, English or understanding what the play is about and understanding the story? Um, and I say that to say that that's one of the reasons I preach out of a New King James Version is not because I don't love the King James. Uh, the King James is beautiful, the way it is written. Uh, but I feel like unless you study it, unless you grew up with it, you might not understand a lot of the words that are being said. Uh, so I, I make a point of when I, uh, when I study to look at both sides. I look at the King James and the New King, or the New King James and the King James, and make sure that they are, really the King James takes out the thou's and the oughts and all these kind of words. Um, but if there is a word that looks kind of suspect, why, why they changed it, uh, I always address that. I always make sure that we know exactly what both of them are saying. I say all that to say that today I am preaching out of the King James, and not for theological reasons. I just happen to leave my glasses at work, and this is the largest print Bible that I own. So I'm going to, uh, we're going to work our way through it, and I'm also going to point out some words that uh, maybe different in different translations, but really they all mean the same. So in Mark, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, if you would turn there, and we're going to start in verse 45, Mark 6, verse 45. And when you found that, if you're physically able, we would ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 6. Yes, verse 45, and we're going to go all the way down to 52. Mark 6, starting in verse 45, the Word of God says, 
And straight away he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into the mountain to pray. And when he was come, and when even was come, which is evening, was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked to them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. For they considered not the uh, miracle of the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to come into your house to worship you. Lord, I just pray that um, we would hear a word from you today. I, I pray that these would be your words and not mine, Lord. That you would speak to our hearts. That you would give us something that we could take with us as we go. We love you. We ask that you would be with us today. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, this is obviously um, the uh, account of Jesus walking on water. Does anybody uh, know what also happened? It's not uh, written here. But what also happened during this account? Right. Peter also walked on the water. Uh, Peter walked on the water. Um, remember, Jesus had walked out, and Peter saw him and said, uh, Command me to come out to you as well. Uh, now, of the th three Gospels that actually have this account in it, only Matthew uh, talks about Peter walking on the water. The other two do not. Um, and I'm not sure why. why. Why only one talks about it, we don't know. Uh, John, he was the other uh, disciple that, that spoke about Jesus walking on the water, but left out the part about Peter. It could be that John and Peter really had a kind of a, 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 a rivalry over who was Jesus' favorite. right? It was kind of like a sibling rivalry over you know, who, who, which parent... Uh, which child does a parent like more, right? It was that kind of uh, rivalry they had amongst each other. Um, I'm fortunate not to ever have that problem because everybody knew I was the favorite. But like in Kate's family where there's four of them, it might be difficult. Uh, so he might not, maybe he didn't uh, bring up the fact that Peter got out of the boat and into the water because he didn't want people thinking, well, Peter had more faith than I had, right? He was sitting in the boat. He could have gotten out too, but he didn't. Um, the only other, the, of the other three Gospels that, that mention Jesus walking on water, the other is Mark. We have Matthew who did talk about Peter, John that didn't, Luke didn't mention this uh, scene at all, and then we have Mark who leaves it out also. Why would Mark leave it out? Well, Mark wasn't one of the original 12 disciples. Mark was, um, he was kind of an apprentice of Peter. Right? So it's generally uh, thought that this account of Mark 
is Peter's words. These are the things that Peter has told Mark throughout the years, and Mark recorded them for us. Well, why wouldn't Peter bring it up? Why, 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 I mean, the, if you think about it, there's only two people that have ever walked on water. Jesus and Peter. And Peter's not willing to talk about it. That seems strange to me. That's, a, that's an accomplishment. If I lose a couple pounds, I'm telling everybody about it. This man walked on water, and he just leaves it out. Well, in Peter's own writing, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, um, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying that even though our faith is tested, and that's what it was. He was testing his faith by stepping out of the boat, right, and, and, and into the water. Even though he was tested, he didn't do anything. And that's what he's acknowledging here. He said, I don't want any glory from anything I've done. I don't want any glory from the, the, the test that I passed in my faith. I want all the glory to go to God. He deserves all the glory. I don't want any of it. So, if Peter didn't want to be glorified from this in incident, let's look and see how Jesus was glorified. We need to remember that this story of Jesus walking on the water comes on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000 men, right? There were 5,000 men plus women and children. So you're looking at maybe 10 to 12,000 people that Jesus fed with just five loaves of bread and a couple fish. What does that mean? Did everybody get a crumb in a, in a, in a fish scale? No, they, they ate until they were full. They ate so much that they had leftovers. They had plenty to eat. Jesus multiplied this food for them. Now, in John's account, in John chapter 6, he tells us that Jesus knew, after he had done this, that the people wanted to take him captive and make him king. They were getting ready to take him by force and make him king. So he commands his disciples. Here it says uh, he constrained them. He didn't handcuff them and throw them in the boat. Another word for constrained means he made them. He, he commanded them to get into the boat. He told them to go to the other side to Bethsaida. Now, he knew that the people were going to want to take him and make him king. But he sent the disciples away. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because if I know that people are going to try and kidnap me, I probably want my friends around to help me. Right? But that's not what he wanted. For some reason, he told his disciples to get in the boat and go to Bethsaida. I don't know if you remember a while back, I, 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 we learned about a blind man that was led by Jesus out of the city before he was healed. And I gave you some suggestions as to why Jesus wanted uh, to take him out of the city first. And why Jesus didn't want the man to return home going back through the city. I said it was because sometimes Jesus needs to get you out of your current situation so he can reveal himself to you. He knew that his disciples were not mature enough yet to not fall into the mob mentality. 
I mean, if you look at verse 52, at the very end of it, um, it says that their hearts were hardened by what they had seen with the, the feeding of the 5,000. Their hearts were hardened. They, they, they understood that Jesus had power by what he had done, but they didn't understand that Jesus was power. They understood that Jesus was the Son of God, but they didn't realize that he was God. Their hearts were hardened. So they weren't mature enough yet, and I believe Jesus didn't want them being influenced by the crowd. He wanted to get them away from the situation before it could escalate. So after the disciples were gone, in verse 46... Jesus departed and went up into the mountain to pray. And this is a good lesson for us. Because Jesus is the Son of God. He's also God. And he goes away to be by himself to pray to the Father. That's a lesson for us because we need to get away to pray. I, I, I'll lay in bed and, and I'll pray and, and Kate will be there. and Sometimes the girls will be in bed with us. Um, or, I'll, or I'll wake up in the morning and I'll pray. But there's something about being alone. Something about not anybody else being there with you that just, it allows your prayer time to be more intimate with God, right? Um, Kate mentioned that I went to uh, um, Philadelphia this past, this past week to uh, be with my mom who was in the hospital having some uh, medical problems. And that was a, a 10-hour drive. And I had a lot of alone time with God. There was a lot of communication with God, a lot of prayer, praying uh, with God. And, and, and it's just, it rejuvenated me to be alone with him for so long. Even if you're in a room with somebody and, and they're not talking or they're, they're um, doing their own thing and you're in prayer, it's just different when you're alone. When, when you're all by yourself, just you and the Lord um, communicating. So, learn that from Jesus, that Jesus even had to be alone with, with the Father. Um, look at verse 48. The first part of verse 48 tells us, and he saw them toiling and rowing. So he's up in the mountains, and he looks down uh, into the sea, and he sees his disciples in the boat. And they're toiling. Toiling means laboring or straining or working hard at rowing the boat. The last part of verse 48, it says, And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea. Jesus goes to them walking on the water. And I would say this is probably uh, maybe his most well-known miracle of walking on the water. I know we, people talk about um, healing the blind or cleansing lepers, but how much can they tell you about that story, right? Everybody knows about Jesus walking on water. It, it's become almost a, a pop culture thing now where everybody knows it, whether you're saved or not, whether you've been in church or had Sunday school, you know Jesus walked on water. Um, one of my favorite movies is, is uh, Tombstone, so a Western movie. And... Uh, they're all sitting around, and somebody says, Where, where's um, Wyatt Earp? Where's Wyatt at? And Doc Holliday says, probably down by the river walking on water. Because everybody was fawning over um, uh, Wyatt Earp. So it's become a, such a well-known 
um, miracle that he had, that he walked on water. Um, but I think, wouldn't it have been a better story, a, be, a better account, if Jesus walked out on the water and his disciples saw him and they were excited to see him? If, 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 they, if he walked out on the water and, and his disciples saw him and they said, Lord, you're here, save us. And he stepped into the boat and he calmed the sea. Wouldn't that have been a great, great miracle, a great story for us to hear? Well, that's not what happened. They, they didn't recognize him and, and call him over and, and, and be cheerful to see him. They weren't singing praises to him when they saw him. They were screaming like my girls at bath time. right? The big, burly uh, fishermen in this boat, screaming because they were terrified. Verse 50 says that, that Jesus, when, he saw, when, when, they, when they cried out and they saw, when he saw them, he went to them and immediately he spoke to them. He said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Jesus got into the boat and the wind stopped. And that was the account of Jesus walking on water. Now we can all go home, right? No. This is a Baptist church, so I have three points for you that we need to take away from uh, Mark's account here. The first is, God will put you in a storm to reveal himself to you. Um, there are a few different types, types of uh, storms that we can face in life. Uh, the first one is storms that, that God allows to happen to you. And we see that with Job, right? When, when Satan was in heaven and he's talking to God and, he, and, and, and God says, well, have, have you tried my, my, my servant Job? And, and Satan said, well, you have a hedge around him. You won't let me. Well, God r removed his head and allowed Satan to bring a storm Job's way, right? It was Satan that took away Job's children. It was Satan that took away Job's wealth. It was Satan that took away Job's health. It was Satan that allowed his wife to live. Yeah. Right, was, I thought that was funny. Uh, but his wife was a loving, right? No, she wasn't loving at all. She was, she was hurt. She was angry. She told Job, instead of encouraging him, she told Job, just curse God and die. That was a storm that God allowed to happen to Job. Last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about a storm that God brought on jo Jonah. Remember, uh, Jonah, uh, he, he was disobeying God. God told him, listen, I, I want you to bring this message to the Ninevites. I want you to bring it to them and tell them that they don't repent of their sins within 40 days. They're going to be overthrown. I, I'm taking them out. And what did Jonah say? Jonah said, I don't even like them. Why would I bring them a message from God? He decided, you know what, instead I'm going to go on a cruise. So he goes down to the boat yard, gets on a boat, and as he's taken away, the further away they get, that storm gets harsher and harsher to the point where they think that the boat is actually going to capsize. And they don't know what to do. But that was a storm that God brought on upon Jonah because Jonah was doing something he wasn't supposed to. 
right? Well, what did the disciples do wrong? They weren't running from Jesus. Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to Bethsaida. They were actually obeying him. They were actually doing exactly what Jesus had told him to do. Exact opposite of what Jonah did. So why are they in a boat enduring what Matthew described as being tossed by the wind and the sea? By the wind and the waves. Why, why are they experiencing this? It's because Jesus sent them into it. Jesus sent them into it. So we have storms that God allows. We have storms that God sends. And now we see we have storms that God will lead us into. And sometimes God will send us into difficult situations because he wants to reveal himself to us. Maybe it's a job, or maybe it's a, a relationship, or, or a financial decision that you have to make. And you've prayed on it, you've prayed over it, you've asked the Lord, is this what you truly want from me? Is this where you want me to be? Is this what you want me to go? Is this who you want me to be with? Is this the decision you want me to make? And you've prayed about it, and God has opened every door to make that a possibility, to make that happen. He's cleared the way for you, and you've jumped on it. You, you've taken the job. You've gotten in that relationship. You've made that financial decision. And then what happens? What happens when, when things go wrong, Right? What happens when you find out that your boss is unbearable or that significant other that you're in a relationship with uh, turns to alcohol? What happens when the house that you bought becomes a money pit and you're sitting there, Lord, I, I thought this is what you wanted for me. I thought this is where you wanted me to be. Why am I going through all of these things right now? I thought this is what you wanted for me. Well, maybe it is. Maybe God is using that difficult situation in your life because he's planning on revealing himself to you in a powerful way. When you're going through hard situations, this is one of my favorite verses. You should highlight it in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 4.17. It says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. God may lead you into a storm, uh, he may have led you into the storm you're in right now. Just so that he can reveal himself to you. Okay? And, and, and him revealing himself to you far outweighs any kind of affliction that you might be going through right now. He's telling you, it's not going to last very long. We're not here very long. Life is but a vapor, right? And him revealing himself to you, it far outweighs any kind of struggle that we're going through in life. The second thing we need to remember is that storms get stronger the further we get from God. And I've used this um, uh, illustration in the past of when somebody gets, when, 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 a, when a child, not mine of course, because mine are always perfect, but when a child gets a switching, right? Mom and dad pulls out the switch and they crack on the first time. What happens? The child tries to pull away. But when you pull away, it only hurts more because they get more leverage. They get, they get, they get the tip of it, right? It hurts more. If you want the, the, the punishment to hurt less, what you need to do is get closer to the parent, 
right? Because they, they, they have a much harder time hitting it. It's the same thing with God. When God is punishing us and we try and move away from him, it's only going to get worse. Remember what happened to, to Jonah. The further they got away from uh, where he was supposed to be, the storm kept getting worse and worse and worse. We, we find ourselves in storms. We need to draw closer to God. But notice we didn't hear anything about uh, the wind and the waves when Jesus first sends them out, right? We didn't hear about this strong wind blowing uh, sand in their fish sandwiches. We didn't hear about any of it. It appears as though it had been fairly calm when they had set out. But now, they're in the middle of the sea. Verse 48 tells us that Jesus went to them at the fourth watch. The fourth watch is sometime between like 3 or 6 o'clock in the morning. So if they left in the evening, and it's now between 3 or 6 o'clock in, in the morning the next day, they've been rowing, trying to get to the other side, away from where Jesus is, for eight to ten hours, you can get quite a ways away in eight to ten hours of rowing, even when the wind is in their face. But now it appears when we see Jesus looking down on them and seeing their struggles that they're probably not getting very far. They're not getting anywhere. The, the wind is blowing so hard, it is so contrary, so against them, that they're not moving anymore. And we've all been in those situations where it feels like no matter how hard we try, we're just not making up any ground. We're not, it feels like we're on ice, right? You just can't move forward. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's an addiction that, that we've tried to kick. And you think, all right, I'm making some headway. And you look up and you catch just a, 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 a burst of wind in your face, right? And you realize you haven't gone anywhere. It keeps pushing back at you. Well, what do you do in that kind of situation? What do you do in that situation where you, you want to, to do better? You, they're doing what Jesus told them to do. They, they think they're doing the right thing. They're, they're, they're plowing ahead. They're moving forward. But it's not doing any good. What, what do you do in that situation? When you're trying to do things on your own. When you've been pushing forward while Jesus is behind you. Well, I'm glad you asked. There's two things I want you to notice. First, he saw them in their struggle when he was still on the land. Right? Wherever you are, no matter how far you might feel from God, he sees you. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the struggles that you're facing. He, he looked down from the sea. From, and he looked down from the mountains into the sea. And I'm sure he could see their faces. Probably red from the wind and, and just sweating from rowing. The pain, the anguish that they were going through. And he cared. He cared. That's the first thing. The second is, and this is easy to miss, but it's extremely important. Look at the end of verse 48. It says, He cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed the, by them. He wasn't planning on stopping. It wasn't until they cried out that he actually stopped and went to them. So what do we do when you're fighting the wind and waves in life? Cry out. Invite Jesus 
into your boat. Point number three. We need to recognize that Jesus saves. Um, I was talking to Kate about this last night. Um, a couple Christmases ago, I believe it was a, uh, a Christmas, uh, we had gotten the girls a gift, and neither one of us could remember what it was. But it came in a big box. And the girls spent hours in this box. They would take turns getting in and laying down. It was like a long, flat, it looked, it reminded me of a coffin, which is, which is sad. I, mean, I don't want to think about it. But they would get in it and they'd lay down, they would take turns, and then they would pop out of it and they would surprise it. It was just hours of just playing with this box. Um, I'm sure other kids do this too. Uh, I'm sure um, my, my kids are not special in that way. But um, especially Emma. Emma loves the packaging. She loves the gift wrap paper. She loves to dump the toys or whatever it is out of the gift bag and play with the bag. It's something about the, 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 um, the wrapping and the packaging that uh, kids get so drawn to. I know Kate, Kate and I have joked in the past about we ought to just buy them boxes and give, give them empty boxes as gifts because they have just as much fun playing with that as they would uh, any toy that comes in it. Save ourselves some money. But as Christians, we can do, um, we sometimes, uh, we can do the same thing, right? We can be enamored with the packaging of Christ. With, with, with the surface, with the superficial part of Christianity. We look at all the ways that he's blessed us, right? And we're told to. Count your blessings one by one. He's blessed us with family. He's blessed us with finances, with careers. He's blessed us with, with possessions. He's blessed us with just the ability to wake up in the morning. He's blessed us with the ability to, to come here and, and worship him and be in his house. He's blessed us with so much. Just countless blessings. But we forget about the real gift, the gift of salvation. The, just look at the thing about the disciples. They had seen him turn water into wine. They had seen the healing of the blind. They had seen cleansing of lepers. And now they're seeing him walking on water after feeding thousands of people. And what does the Bible say that did to their hearts? Verse 51 and 52. And he went up to them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. They were amazed. They were amazed, they, they were amazed at the things that Jesus could do. They were amazed at Jesus' power and, and, and the miracles that he was performing. They were amazed at the superficial. They were amazed at the packaging. But what happened was their hearts were hardened. They didn't realize who he really was. They didn't realize the gift that he was actually giving them. And it, it's possible to be saved and have your heart hardened. It's, it, it's, it's possible to be... A, in fact... Um, you don't have to turn there. It's Hebrews. I'm almost done here. Bear with me. Hebrews chapter 3. Um, starting in verse 13, it says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest anyone 
or any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 15, while it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. When he's talking to fellow believers. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying, you need to elevate each other. You need to speak well to each other. You need to encourage one another so that your hearts aren't hardened. It's possible for us to have our hearts hardened. And that happens when we do what? When we find ourselves moving away from him. When we're not staying in the word. When we're not staying in prayer. When we become more enamored with, with the things that he's done for us in our lives and the actual relationship that we can have with him. When we start thinking about all the things that he's done for us instead of thinking about the one true gift that he's actually giving us. We're looking at all the, the peripheral things. The gift is salvation. The gift is salvation. God is working in your life. Don't get hung up on, on, on the struggles that we face. Don't get hung up on the blessings that we have. Invite him into your boat. He's always there, and he's ready to save you. Let's pray. Lord, again, we, we're so grateful to be able to come into your house. It, it's, it's a blessing to wake up in the morning. It's a blessing to be able to make it here. It's a blessing just to, to hear a word from you. It's a blessing to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a blessing to be able to open your word and hear from you, Lord. But the, the, the true gift, the, the, what we're here for, is your gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that you will allow us to share that gift with others. That you will allow us to, 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 to share what you've done in our lives and why your son was here and why he went to the cross and why he died for our sins. Lord, I just pray that you'll put somebody before us this week that we can share your good news with. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.